I want to start out by saying this morning, it is always, always a privilege to come home. It's always a privilege for me to have the opportunity to come back and share in the church where all of this started almost 28 years ago. I also wanted to tell you personally as a pastor and leader how encouraged I am, how proud I am of the things this church is doing and how these pastors are leading you, leading you in your relationship with God, leading you in service in the community, leading you to honor God with your lives. There's so many things going on in this church, and I just wanted to commend you personally. It always blesses my heart. I have something I believe is from God that he wants to share with you this morning. And so I'd like you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer so that we might get our hearts right However they need to be, whether they're filled with worry or anxiety, or maybe we're distracted, or maybe we have other things on our mind. And let's just ask God for the next 40 minutes, Lord, capture my attention, speak to my heart, Heavenly Father, say whatever it is you want to say to my soul. Father, we thank you this morning for the incredible privilege we have to know Jesus Christ and to live for Jesus Christ in this present evil, wicked age. Lord, I'm reminded this morning, over and over and over you said to the multitudes, save yourself from this wicked and perverse generation. And I ask myself, what would you say today as we are closer now to your return than any time in the history of the world? Heavenly Father, we ask you this morning, you'd speak to our hearts Open our mind to understand the words of God. Open our minds to understand the intention of God. Open our minds and our heart to be responsive to God. Not just, Lord, here this morning for a brief moment, but in the totality of our lives and of our living. In Jesus' name, amen. So some of you, you know, you may wonder to yourself, Why do these guys call this series Exiles? And what does that mean? Because we don't use it very often. You don't hear it very often. But the Bible uses it. And it is used. Some people know what it means. But I would like to just share with you for a moment why the Bible calls us this and exactly what it means. And I'm going to start this morning from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 and verse 13. As you know, in Hebrews chapter 11, we have the sort of what's been referred to as the hall of fame of faith. And and God talks to us about Moses and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and David and Barak and others that he mentions in this passage. But here's what it says in the middle of the chapter. All of these died in faith without having received what was promised them. But they saw it from a distance and welcomed it, confessing they were foreigners and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things, my little page won't turn. Such things make it plain they're looking for a homeland. And if they had in mind that country from which they went out, they would have had a chance to return. But now they're looking for a better, a heavenly country. Accordingly, God is not ashamed of being called their God. In fact, he has prepared a homeland for them. We are a people 
without a homeland. That's what exiles are. We're not there yet. This culture is not our culture. This nation is not our nation. This world is not our home. Sometimes we don't get that. To be honest with you, and I'll talk just briefly on this this morning because my time is very limited. I recognize, just like you do, that we are living in an ever-increasing, hostile, and prejudiced nation against Christianity, the Bible, God, and his people. That's been happening for a number of years, but it is ever-increasing. And we see open hostility in greater and greater ways against God's truth, against God's people. But what's even of greater concern to me is the reality that so many Christians in America are living in defiance to God, rather in defiance to this world. And my message today is entitled, Dare to Defy, Live for God. God has called us to live, believe it or not, a defiant way of life. There's a reason for it. I will explain it today. But so many Christians today are simply a part of the culture. They become comfortable here. They become acclimated to the habits and the practices and the lifestyles and the ways of life of this world. This world is not our home. Its ways are not our ways. Its values are not our values. Its culture is not our culture. Its God is not our God. But God has a master plan, and I want to start with that this morning. Again, we'll only look at this briefly, but so that you have context, so that you understand why as Christians, why as Christians who live in a nation that is increasingly hostile to us, we can have great hope. I also want to say this. I realize that for many of us, there is a growing angst about what's happening to our country. And I want to touch on that for a minute and explain why. There's a good reason why. We are a nation unlike any other besides ancient Israel. You may not realize that because many of you are very unfamiliar with Christianity and you have believed the propaganda that you've seen in the movies because you've not studied history, the history of this nation. This nation was founded on biblical truth. Not all, but many of the signers of our Declaration of Independence and writers of our Constitution were devout believers in God's word and God's truth. The reason we we have experienced so many blessings through the years is because of our honor to our creator. Read some of the speeches of Abraham Lincoln. Study his life. Study the prayer life of George Washington. And what's happening, I realize, is very difficult. We're watching it all slip away. And so for the first time, really in the history of this nation, Christians are now feeling, I'm an exile in my own country. Well, welcome to Christianity. That has been the reality for Paul and the early church throughout the Roman Empire. They were not welcomed and embraced citizens. Their God and their teachings were not honored by the Caesars. 
So don't lose heart. Don't become dismayed. Don't let, be very careful, that you don't let yourself get filled up with all kinds of angst and rage and disquietment when you see the nation that you love beginning to fall apart because you no longer have the rule of law in so many of our institutions. We have great hope. We are people with great hope because we're part of a kingdom that will never end. We're part of a kingdom that will be forever and eternally established. This is not our home. This is not our home. So, so just listen for me for just a moment. In 2 Peter chapter 3. I don't know if you know this, but Peter is writing both in 1 Peter and 2 Peter to exiles. It says that in the beginning of 1 Peter. The Jews who had come to Jesus Christ and converted to Christianity in in the book of Acts, in early Jerusalem and Pentecost, had been scattered by a great persecution. Paul, before he converted to Christianity, was killing Christians. He was leading groups like the Taliban that would raid the homes of Christians, drag them out by their hair, whip them publicly, bring them to synagogues, torture them, getting them to defame the name of Christ. So they fled. They were living in different lands, not their homeland. And Peter writes to them as exiles. And then he says this. This is my second letter to you, dear friends. First, I want to remind you that in the last days, there'll be scoffers who laugh at the truth and do every evil thing they desire. Well, we're living there. We're living there. They laugh at God's definition of marriage. They laugh at the sanctity of life. They laugh at our commitment to marriage. They laugh at our morals and our values. God's. This will be their argument. Oh, Jesus promised to come back, did he? Where is he? As far back as anyone can remember, everything's the same as it's always been. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command. And he brought the earth up from water and surrounded it by water. And then he used the water to destroy the world with a mighty flood. And God has also commanded that the heavens and the earth will be consumed by fire on the day of judgment when ungodly people will perish. There is a judgment coming. Men and women, don't get dismayed. Don't get worried that there's not justice, that the wicked don't get what's coming. It's coming. You've been lied to about why we have all these mountain ranges and why we have the Grand Canyon. It's because of the flood of God that judged this world once. And he's going to do it again. He's going to do it again. For those of you that need comfort as you live in this world, read Psalm 37. When you go home today, study, read Psalm 37, and you'll understand why. You can remain calm and dismiss fury at what's going on around you. Understand God is going to bring his judgment. I know we don't hear this much in church. (laughs) Joel Osteen ain't going to be doing a program on this, I'll tell you that. (laughs) But you must not forget, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like the day. 
The Lord isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. He's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants people to repent, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and everything in them will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be exposed to judgment. Since everything around us is going to melt away, what holy, separate lives, godly lives you should be living You should look forward to this day and hurry it along. What day? What day? The day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt in the flames. But we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth is promised. A world where righteousness is at home. Oh man, do you ever feel, Peter also writes about Lot. You ever feel like Lot? Lot's righteous soul was tormented night and day by the godless deeds of the men and women around him in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we feel like that, but God, there's a day coming. There's a day of reckoning coming. And my friend, I'm telling you, it's going to be a horrific noise. And all of the heavens, all of the galaxies, the entire planet, Gone, melted under the blazing, purifying fire of God. And then, and then, my belief, my understanding, if you put together these passages, you will witness as a believer, eternally living, creation once again, the new creation, as God, bam, with a word, creates a new entire galaxy and a new earth where you and I will live forever in a kingdom that will never be brought down. Never. No pain, no sorrow, no sin, no wickedness, no hatred, no prejudice, no immorality, no flesh. And we'll be living free forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It will never end. You'll never be bored. But in the meantime, In the meantime, and that's what I want to use the rest of our time for this morning. In the meantime, what do we do? We're exiles. We're exiles. How should we then live? What does God want from us? I'm going to share with you, refer to you a story, one of my favorite actually, in the Old Testament. From from the time I was a little boy, my mother, my father in the beginning, then mostly my mother, would tell me the stories of God. They didn't mean a lot to me in my middle years, but they certainly meant a lot more to me as I grew up and I began my own journey with God. I'll give you a little background. We're going to look at Daniel and his friends. And again, I just wish I had so much time to tell you this, but if you want, you can go to a series called Heroes of Faith on strongdisciple.com and one of the first the two messages, first two are on Daniel. Daniel was one of the exiles that God sent the nation of Israel into exile. He brought the Babylonian king. All of Jeremiah and Daniel are contemporaries. And the book of Jeremiah was written as the warning what Jeremiah said to what God did with Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. The Israelites had rebelled against God and they embraced godlessness and they worshiped and served the idols of this world as many Christians are doing today serving the Christians, living their lives by the world's values. 
So God brought this great judgment. And Daniel and his four friends, they were, they were boys, young men, probably 17, of the royal family. And when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, they were not nice. It was not nice. It was bloody. It was gory. It was merciless. The chances are very good. They saw their own families killed and slaughtered. And Daniel and his four friends were taken off. And the Bible says they were healthy and they were good looking and they were very smart. And so Nebuchadnezzar hadn't picked them among some others to become his royal servants. And so they begin to serve They have to go through three years of training. And one of the first little inclinations that we see of Daniel and his friends was when they started to uh, feed them. You think about something so simple as food. Boy, food says a lot about us, don't we? We live in a gluttonous nation. Let's just be honest. I'm always going to be honest with you. We live in a gluttonous nation. We live in a self-indulgent nation. Well, these Jewish men, they were getting, they were, all of a sudden, they're getting the fancy wine and the fancy food. But, but as Jews, as God-fearing Jews, they knew the Old Testament. And they knew, of course, we don't live under the Old Testament. We live under the New Testament. But still, New Testament Christians, we are required by God, admonished by God to live disciplined, self-controlled lives. These guys had dietary rules as a Jew, and all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change them. He wanted to change their their dietary laws. He wanted to infect them with his culture and their habits. So they very wisely, they were very upright men. They went to the person who was overseeing their training, and they made a request. They said, we'd rather not eat this food. We refused. They made up their minds personally to defy the system. They defied it. And I'll show you this. I'll show you this very word in Daniel. That's where I got the word. And they said, oh, look, we'd like you to test us. We can't, we won't eat this. We won't eat it. The guy was really scared, but he respected these guys. He respected their work ethic. He respected their integrity. Daniel said, you try us out for 10 days. Give us just vegetables and, and water. That's all we can have of the stuff you have available here. And if, we, and if we look pale and we look sickly, then we'll change. Of course, they knew God would honor them. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier than everyone else. So God honored them. But I want to pick up this story. For me, one of the, the greatest stories in the scripture, heroic, is in chapter 3. I'll give you a little background. Nebuchadnezzar's made a gigantic statue, 90 feet tall, 9 feet tall, uh, wide, of solid gold. And he commanded all the nation, all the people, down to come down in this valley. And when you hear the sound of all the musical instruments, when they stop, bow down to my statue. Bow down. <clears throat> well, there were three Jews who refused. <laughs> they defied the order. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They defied the order. And when everyone else is on their face, they're standing upright. Some of the astrologers and those who were very jealous, by the way, of these men went and reported them to Nebuchadnezzar. And we pick up the text here in verse 12 of chapter 3. But there were some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon. They have defied your majesty. 
by refusing to serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Now, I want you to observe something. Here's what's really interesting. They sort of expanded on the definition. All that was supposed to happen was at that moment you bowed down. But these guys accused them of what they was really responsible for. They refused to serve the God of Bel and Marduk. They refused to serve those idol gods on a daily basis, in their food, in their prayer life, in their lives. They refused. They defied. They were responsible. They were honest. And they served those they were responsible to in this evil kingdom with all their heart. But God was first. So Nebuchadnezzar, I can just picture this, flew into a rage. And he ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought to him. When they were brought in, he said to them, is it true? Tell me, is it true? Did you refuse to serve my gods and worship the gold statue? I will give you one more chance right now. If you bow down, when you hear the sound of the instruments, all will be well. But if you don't, if you defy me, I will throw you immediately into the fire. And what God will be able to rescue you from my power? I don't know about you, but I I don't want to burn. I don't like getting burns. Burns are really painful. But you know what I hate worse? I hate compromise with evil. I hate it. I hate it. It Makes me want to throw up. I hate it. I hate the system of this world. I hate it. And here's what they said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves to you. If we're thrown into this furnace blazing with fire, the God we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, you can be sure we will never serve your gods or worship your gold statue. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. I mean, you could just see this guy, spittle coming out of his mouth. His face is red. His ears are red. And if it was possible for smoke to come out of his crown, it was. He was irate. He commanded, he ordered some of the strongest men in the army to bind them and throw them into the fire. The fire was so hot that the people threw them in burned themselves without even getting in the furnace. Throws them in. Now, here's what's really remarkable, of course. Moses knew that he was going to conquer. God promised him that. Moses knew. He didn't know the whole process. It really threw him off when Pharaoh didn't comply. But I love Moses' defiance. Let God's people go. And then things got rough. And they got rough for the people, and God tested Moses. But God, Moses knew, God promised, you're going to get them all the way out. Okay, we're going. These guys didn't know. These guys didn't have a magic word from God. They put it all on the line. God can save us, but I don't know if God will save us. But we will never walk away from God. We will never serve your God. We will never embrace your values. I will never live like you live. And I will not bow down to your statue. Which, of course, we could use in our world today allegorically. To the gods of this world, how do you respond to them? Well, he throws them in. Of course, we know the story. If you know the story, another person shows up. Some believe it was the angel of the Lord, which often referred to Christ. Some believe it was Michael or Gabriel, the archangel. 
Whatever it was, they didn't burn. They didn't smell like smoke. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Now, lest you think Nebuchadnezzar became converted, he became even harder after that. And eventually God turned him into basically a raving lunatic animal. And he lived for seven years out eating grass like a cow and his fingernails grew until God humbled the man. Tell you a little secret about Daniel. Daniel, the book reveals two things. You either to live your life in defiance to God or you defy the world. But there is no middle ground. There has never been middle ground. You either live in defiance to God or you live in defiance to this world. God's plan for you and I is that you dare to defy this world and live for God. That you dare to defy this world's way of living and doing things personally. You know, I'll get into this a little bit if I have time. For me, it's been 40 years of defiance. In fact, one of my favorite movies, I've seen it about 10 times now, is Defiance. True story of three brothers, the Belsky brothers, whose mother and father were shot brutally and killed by the Nazis when they occupied, I believe it was, either Czech or Hungary or Poland, somewhere, some of the names they changed. So I don't know the exact area, but it was in eastern part of Europe. <clears throat> they end up running out in the woods, and, and over time, thousands of Jews come to them. They even went into the ghetto, and they brought out Jews. <clears throat> and for years, they raised, they took care of them, they fed them, they watched over them, they fought back, they defied the culture, and eventually immigrated to the U.S., and their descendants number in the thousands of those now because of who they saved in the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that are living today because someone dared to fight. I would really encourage you, if you get a chance, to get the movie Sophie Scholl, Final Days, one of the greatest movies I have ever seen. It's in German with subtitles. It'll send chills up and down your spine. It won all kinds of awards when it came out. You can probably find it on Amazon or if you're a Netflix person, rent it. 21-year-old young woman who defied Hitler, who stood up and was counted, who simply handed out leaflets exposing the evils of the regime. And to see what she went through in the trial and how she stood, and how she trusted God, and how she answered her accusers. It, I just, I wept. I wept. I own it. I watch, these are the kind of things I watch. I feed my mind on them over and over and over, as well as God's truth. These are, these are thrilling times. I know they're awful. I know they're difficult times. Don't get me wrong. I'm not minimizing that. I know it's difficult days, but it's also thrilling days because it's your moment in history. What will you do? What will you do with your moment in history? I can tell you what I've done with mine for 40 years. It has been 40 years now of living in defiance to this world, defiance to the system, defying the culture, defying my flesh, defying the devil. And in greater and greater increasing measure as I grow in Jesus Christ. I want you to think about some of these things because <clears throat> these are the ways in which you and I practically can defy 
this culture. You and I have an opportunity to live courageously for God. We have a unique opportunity to create an individual lifestyle founded on the word of God and the New Testament. Do you relish that? Do you live it? Let me give you an example. Fathers, will you lead your family and build your family's lives on the biblical principles of God and live courageously? Can I, can I just share a simple fact with you? The, the, the church here, we're here on Sunday morning. We're here for an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes. Maybe with visiting an hour and 20 minutes, you got another small group. That's awesome. It's great. The church, by the way, is the most precious group of people on the planet to God. That's why I've devoted my life. I have defied the culture, and, and I believe church is of supreme importance. Church is one of the spiritual disciplines of my life. The people of God have been my life. Serving the people of God has been my way of life for 40 years in whatever possible way I could do that. But the majority of your Christian life is lived out there, not in here. And the majority of that or at least about half, is lived in your home. What is your home like? What is your home like? Does the media of this world dominate your home? For it is inculcating your children. It is indoctrinating you. It is perverting truth. I'm not against media. Use it in a good way, but let's just be no ifs, ands, and buts about its agenda. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about Hollywood's agenda. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about the terrible, tragic impact that mass media has had on the formation of godlessness in our nation. As we see it acted out, played out. Do you know? Do you, do you know? Do you know what Psalm 1? The very first Psalm of God says, How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sit with sinners, nor stand around with the scoffers, but his delights in the law of the Lord. And yet our kids in the living room watching Bart Simpson. That's called sitting with the idiots. Do you understand? I, I know so many people have come up to me different times when I've traveled the country and said, Mark, oh my, with tears in their eyes. I never, I never thought of that before. I just thought, you know, I was keeping them around from, from bad influences, from friends. I just thought, you know, that, that passage meant, you know, sitting, you know, with people just scoffing about God. Well, that's almost all television does is scoff at truth. Scoff at the morality of God. Now, there are some wonderful programs that can support all kinds of wonderful good things. Are you choosy? Are you choosy? Will you defy this culture and live for God? Will you defy the world and honor God with your lifestyle decisions, no matter what the world says about you and me? What kind of lifestyle decisions do you make? Have you bought in? Will you defy the gods of materialism in this world? We live in the most affluent nation in the world. It is unbelievable what we have. I'll tell you, this, this is Mark. I realize I'm odd. And I want you to know that right now. So I just, I just want you to take from here this morning what God puts on your heart. But recently I went to Costco, and I'm walking into Costco, and, uh, you know, I, I, I try to get, um, um, you know, my, my food at the best value that we can. And uh, I could tell you a whole story about that. But anyway, I'm walking in, and they have this habit of putting these cars out in front of Costco. Some are SUVs. So I see one out there one day. It's a particular brand of car, and I thought to myself, SUV. I won't name the name because my goal here is not to offend anybody. My goal is to illuminate. <laughs> That's all I want to do. 
And so I, I walked over, and I just took a guess. I said, I'll, I'll, bet, that, I'll bet that one's 55. <clears throat> so I walk over. Sure enough, oh, man, I was almost to the money, except when you had the tax and everything else. It's $60,000. Now, can I, this is how I'm wired. Let's just say this is how I've chosen to become wired. I was ticked off. I was PO'd. And, I, and the guy could tell it when I walked in, because, you know, you always got to show the Gestapo your card. You know, boom, <laughs> boom, your card. <laughs> Hello, I'm a member. <laughs> they won't let me through the checkout if I'm not a member. <laughs> so I walk in. He says, how are you? I said, well, can I be honest with you? <laughs> I said, and so I said, so then I said to him, I said, now, Bob, I read his name really fast. I said, Bob, this is not personal. I know you don't have anything to do with this. He goes, okay. But I said, you could pass it on to management for me. He goes, what's that? I said, what is Costco about? Isn't Costco about saving money, helping the average person? Well, who in the world needs a $60,000 SUV? Who needs it? Well, I can mention a few TV preachers, but I won't. I won't. Have you ever thought about that? I'm going to defy this. With every last ounce in me, I'm going to defy them. They are not going to get my wallet. God's money. And I strive to be the best possible steward of my body, of my time, of my life, of all that God has given me. When was the last time you walked in your bath and said, thank you, God, I've got water. I, I can't drink the water when I go to Honduras. One time someone actually gave me accidentally a little water that was mixed. And I got sicker than I've ever been for three weeks and some very frightening things came out of my body. And then when I went, they misdiagnosed it. The doctor gave me the wrong antibiotic, and I got worse. Do you understand what we take for granted? I don't take it for granted. My wife would testify to this. There's not a day that goes by that I don't thank God for the simple home that we have, the simple roof over our head, for the simple car that he gave us to drive, that we have heat, that we have air conditioning, that we have water, that we have food to eat. Will you live with a defiant mentality Will you live an uncompromising life in your home? Will you defy this world and create your own biblical world in your home with your family against the culture? Let me just share something with you, powerful and profound. You know where bullying starts? At home. When kindness is not the rule of our living, which is what God tells us to do, and we allow older siblings to bully and pick on the younger ones because they've not learned Kindness. I was driving one time recently, uh, helping my daughter with something. <clears throat> my daughter Jessica, and she looked at me. She said, "You know, Dad, I've been pondering this recently." She said, "Dad, and just you know, this was unsolicited." She said, "Dad, we just grew up with so much love in our home. It was just we really enjoyed each other. The kids, you know, we weren't perfect, Dad, but we loved each other. We cared about one another. We were friends with one another." There ought to be such a different standard in the homes of men and women who claim Christ. And yet, to be honest, in so many situations, couldn't even tell the difference. It is so exhilarating to actually defy this world and live for something that really matters. To live in all-out rebellion to the world system and live in submission. To Jesus Christ. Did you know Romans chapter 12 verse 2 commands this? Do not conform to this world. The Weist Bible says do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. And I have been defying their mold 
for 40 years, willfully, with everything I got, defy them. Defy them. Stand tall. Be full of hope. Defy the culture, defy the world, defy the flesh, defy the world's values, defy its materialism, defy the world's immorality, and submit to God and live for God. And I promise you, you will look back on your life 10 years from now, 40 years from now, with no regrets. Because you will be one of those Daniels. All of us, did you know this? All of us are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're all exiles in enemy territory, and there's a great war raging around. The only question will be, what kind of Daniel will you choose to be? What kind of Shadrach will you choose to be? What kind of Esther will you choose to be? That's the only question. Dare to defy. Live for God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your power that works in our life. You know, Lord Jesus, you told us this in the book of Titus, that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. No, I won't go there. No, I won't do this. No, I won't be that. To renounce godlessness and live self-controlled, disciplined lives in this wicked age. Oh, God, I pray that you would move in us in a fresh, new, vibrant, powerful way. That you'd help us remember, Lord, where we're going and what's coming. You'd help us, Lord, to put it in our mind's eye. You have given us the extraordinary power of imagination, of vision. The Bible tells us that whatever our mind focuses on, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is dark, your whole body will be filled with darkness. What was he saying? What you see with your mind's eye is everything. What you envision, what your hope is fixed upon, what you have in your mirror, in your view, affects the entire body. Wherever the eye is looking, the body will follow. Help us, oh God, to live defiant lives, to dare to defy this world's system, and live for God and radiate Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.